Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for Find Your Film episode 122. We're actually doing something different for this episode. We're actually going back to our director spotlights. We'll have director spotlights once every two weeks. And what what does that mean for our weekly show? Well, once every two weeks, you'll get to learn a little bit, hopefully a little bit more about a director either you've never heard about or you know a little bit about and Usually we'll cover maybe two or three of that director's films. We're going to, we're also going to have a couple of featured movie reviews as well. Bruce Perky, you're excited about one of the films that we're going to cover for, cover for our featured films. What, what is that film that you're all, all excited about this week? A uh, fair game, which is a brand new release from 19, what, 80, what is it? 88, 87? Might be in, might be earlier than that, maybe nineteen seventy seven, seventy eight. I'm get, I'm guessing on numbers, but that's unfortunately I did not get the fair game. I think Eric Holmes actually sent me a link to Fair Game, and I was watching a, a Cindy Crawford William Baldwin movie. Was that correct, Eric Holmes? Did you send me the William Baldwin Cindy Crawford Fair Game screener uh, link? I don't think that was the one, but you can oh, certainly uh, dare review you. that one. Have but you that ever goes seen? Back to what we were talking about last week. What happened? Like, get better names for your movies. Get better names. You can type in the movie, and it's the first and only one that pops up, and not 14 different movies called Fair Game. Eric Holmes is a very nice human being, but sometimes when it I'm comes to- I'm trying to help you out, filmmakers. He's trying to You know what he does? He, when we started with Movie Mainline and, and now Find Your Film, Eric Holmes was a wide-eyed cinephile, and he was just really excited to get screening links. But whenever he gets screening links from publicists, he immediately emails them, tell those filmmakers to find better f- names for their bleeping movies. Thank you for the link. So they're <laughs> a little bit. No, they have to, they have to subscribe to the podcast and listen to it to get the, the real, the straight dope. The straight dope. From the horse's mouth. Straight dope, dopamine. So fair game. Bruce Perky's very excited about fair game. Are you excited about anything this week as far as featured reviews or anything? We're going to cover Eric Holmes just right off the top of your head. Uh, I mean, there's one thing in particular I'm pretty excited about, and that's yes. uh, bringing back the director's spotlights. Bring back bringing the director's spotlights. spotlights. And we're doing Jules Dassin. Okay, and so I we're going to do. You cannot wait. You cannot wait. We're going to be doing Jules Dassin momentarily. Our featured reviews are, again, the Bruce Perky mentioned, aforementioned film Fair Game, which he's really excited to talk about. Eric Holmes has also seen it. I have not seen it. I've been able, I was able to see this Austrian film, I believe this Austrian film called Rubicon. And that's something I w- was able to see. I did not get Bruce and Eric screening links because I can't, we look, there are about maybe eight or 10 movies that come out every week. We cannot literally see eight or nine movies. We've been trying to watch five or six movies the last couple of years. And it's been, it's been, uh, no, I'm not going to say it's rough going. It's not really rough going to watch a lot, a ton of movies, but with the director spotlights and everything else, we might pare down some of our featured reviews and we'll make sure it will be st- the quantity and qu- the quality will still be there, even though the quantity in the featured reviews might not be five or six every single bleeping weekend. So again, fair game, Rubicon. But first, we're going to do for, for this episode, we're going to spotlight filmmaker Jules Dassin. Eric Holmes, you've been obsessed with Jules Dassin for the last year and a half. I've been asking you this question probably ad nauseum the last six months. What is, when did your fixation over this director start and why do you continue to love him? By the way, the movies we're covering for this episode regarding Dyson is Thieves Highway and Night in the City. So 
Eric Combs, your thoughts on Jules Dassin and your obsession over his work. I was sorry when I saw Rafifi. It just seemed like kind of a homework movie I came across. I kept hearing about it. And I finally pulled the pulled the plug and watched it. And I was like, holy crap, this movie is awesome. And then uh, I believe it was you, Greg, that uh, mentioned, um, was it Brute Force? Brute Force with Burt uh, Lancaster, prison drama. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you should check out that. I'm like, I don't know if it can be as good as Rafifi, but I'll give it a shot. I watch it and go, uh, it's not better than Rafifi, but it's as good, I think. Just, you know, different different plot, different setting and all that, but just as awesome. Our and buddy then, Anderson I, Cowan loved Brute Force, black and yeah. white film, like we said. And this is kind of really cool. Anderson Cowan, we know from the film vault and, of course, cinematics, which all three of us do with, with Anderson. He liked it's amazing that Anderson liked a black and white movie that wasn't shot in present day. So for him to like a black and white movie from yesteryear, it's not a dig on him. It's just his aesthetic. That's, that says a lot about him, how Jules Dassin can reach so many different type of cinephiles. Sorry. Yeah. Combs, go, go ahead. Yeah. And then from there, it was just like, uh, just, you know, uh, kind of what I've been doing with, uh, uh, Kirk Douglas just kind of slowly picking at it as I go on. Um, Maybe one day I'll get to all the Jules Dassin's movies and all of Kirk Douglas's movies, but he, he just every movie I've seen so far, I've I've really enjoyed, and the two we're talking about are no different. Um, and you know, maybe I'll come across a dud, but I haven't yet, so I'm yeah, pretty excited also, about him as a filmmaker. What was that movie that me, you, and Bruce covered regarding regarding top uh, copy? Top copy, right? That was a, sort of a, like a little bit of a heist movie as well, but this time it was what, what was it? It was some kind of jewel or something. I yeah, it, it was real similar, and uh, it was real similar to Rafifi because Rafifi they set up the set up the the gambit, and then the whole movie is them. It, it's actually really similar to Top Gun Maverick. Here's what we need to do: the whole movie is them preparing for it, and then the last half of the movie or the last third of the movie is them pulling it off. Um, Except that it had interesting characters and a cool setting and a cool thing they were doing. Yes. Well, I mean, I just I mean, like Top Gun Magnum did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, oh, it, it, there wasn't a part when, uh, in, uh, there wasn't a part in Rafifi where it's like, we need to, uh, break into and seal the thing. And it's like, but my father, Goose, he would not like that. <laughs> <laughs> my father, Goose, he would not like that. So this is Jules Dassin. I mean, he, he's had a couple of, what's interesting about him is he's, he's had a split career. First of all, first off, it's a career in Hollywood. Then he was kind of pretty much a victim of the Hollywood blacklist. And what happens when that happens? He doesn't slink and hide into Hollywood and he doesn't try to go under a pseudonym to get his movies out or direct under a pseudonym. Actually, what he does is he goes, go, he goes to Europe and then he spends the rest of his career shooting in Europe. And that's, it's kind of two different Jules Dassons when it comes to his work. Eric, why did you choose the Hollywood America, Dassin, why these two films for us to spotlight on Find Your Film this week? Because uh, these were the last two I saw. <laughs> these were the last two you saw. <laughs> I, I just happened to go to Entertain Mart. I picked up uh, Thieves Highway. The, I, I got that when um, uh, uh, The Last Duel came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And so I picked yeah. up both those on the same day. So like that's it's been a while since I'd seen Thieves Highway at this point. And then Night in the City, I picked that up like a month or two ago. And we just never got around to talking about it and, and you know, uh, kept pushing it back. And then eventually we're like, you know what, we just should just do a director spotlight on these two. 
and they're uh, they're easy to find. Um, you can find them on. They're both on Criterion, and I believe they're both on YouTube. They are uh, both you on YouTube. On As we speak, you can easily find them on YouTube. So, listeners, if you want to save some money, listen to us right now and go check out Thieves Highway and Night in the City. They won't cost you anything but time. Yes, Eric Holmes. And I got to get a a shout out to a YouTube channel, Criterion Creeps, Mm -hmm. Um, because I I was just like, uh, you know, uh, just kind of looking on stuff on Jules Das and I came across them. And a year ago, they had a YouTube. Uh, they also did uh, two movies of Jules Dassin. Uh, the two movies they did were Thieves Highway and Night in the City. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a, that's a hell of a uh, coincidence. But, uh, uh, Bruce Borgie, do we call that plagiarism? Is that the de- definition of plagiarism What or, or what Eric Holmes is trying to do right now with our podcast? D- did he yes. just? Yes. Podcast yeah. thievery is what it Pod- is. Podcast <laughs> thievery. You see how how but, uh, uh, you see how I, Bruce Perkins backing you up. Bruce Perkins not backing you up here. He's not he's not backing you up. He called you a thief. What do you, what do you, what do you say to that? Are Maybe you I am. Up? Maybe you, I am. But I, I just want to point out if anyone from Criterion Creeps is listening to this, probably not. But if they are, this was totally an accident. But I, I did want to give a shout out to their YouTube channel. Shout out and me on the behalf of me and Bruce Perky, we had no idea criterion creeps that this creep of ours eric holmes slithered in with these two picks no, but uh but before we get into the movies eric how were the actual dvds or blu-rays you got from criterion just from as far as would you uh, recommend they're, yeah they're, actually let me grab them i got this okay. one and uh, yeah all right so they're both dvds i got the oh yeah that's the good that's fine. No, that's fine no no that's fine Background yeah, makes yeah. it tough to see, but anyway, uh, they're both Criterion. Um, I didn't good transfer really as DVDs. They're, they look good. They, they both as DVDs. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, but I also have poor eyesight, so maybe there's uh, <laughs> more discerning eyes that uh, don't like them. But I, I still like DVDs. Um, I'm guessing the Blu-rays. Uh, I, I would assume Blu-rays look better, but I don't. You know, uh, I don't even know if those would be in there or not. Um, as far as special features, there's not too much. Um, you know, there's like a like behind the scenes stuff or like a you know commentary the, here and there. Yeah, commentaries and stuff like that. But they're not uh, not as uh, what's the word like uh, full. They're not, as you, they're not chock full of of extras. Not yeah, it, it's it's not bare bones, but it's not far from it. Um, right. So you got yeah uh, audio commentary. Video interview with Jules Dass, and this is on Thieves Highway. Thieves Highway uh, okay, trailer cool. for the long haul of AI Bezerides. Uh, yeah, Bezerides, AI Bezerides. He's best known right. as Buzz. His name is Buzz Bezerides. And, and then some night, really interesting. in the city, we got in the city. audio commentary, uh, video interview with Jules Dassin, uh, another interview with Jules Dassin. And cool. that's yeah, that's pretty much it. Very There's cool. a couple interviews, but I mean, you know, sometimes like the you know with the I'm guessing with the older movies, it's hard to get the it's hard to get the special features in because mm-hmm. special features wasn't a thing to do uh, yeah. because you know home video wasn't a home video wasn't invented. Bruce, you and I saw it on YouTube. Were you okay with the transfers that you were able to see uh, with no complaints, or were there just 
was it a little bit too grainy for you or just in general it was fine? The ones I saw looked really good. I thought they, they looked like they were pretty recent transfers. They didn't look like, you know, sometimes you come on there and they're all like jumpy and grainy and scratchy. And it looks like they had taken a fairly recent transfer and put them up there because they looked good to my eyes. I don't know about you, but once again, glasses older. So who knows? <laughs> but- <laughs> we're all older. I, I am, I am feeling it as we speak. Let's start with Thieves Highway first. It's was released in 19, 1949, again, directed by Jules Dassin. As Eric Holmes said, it's based on the screenplay by A.I. Buzz Bezaridis, and it stars Richard Conte, C-O-N-T-E. Richard Conte plays Nick Garkos. He is the, he's come back from war, and he's excited because when, as soon as he's dropped off by the taxi cab or whatever, he hears his father singing from the distance in the home. And he's really excited because his father sounds really happy. He, he gets in the house. He sees his dad. He's, his dad is singing and, and he's sitting down in the table and his, and his, his mother is, greets him immediately. And his, and his girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, Paul, Polly played by Barbara Lawrence. She greets him as well. Everything seems very happy and sunny until his father tells him that, well, he can't, he can't stand up. He can't stand up because his father has lost his legs, half his legs, gone. Why are they gone? Because his father, who is a truck driver, he was hauling fruit, actually tomatoes, to this big boss out in the, I guess, waterfront in San Francisco. He was trying to strike some kind of deal with this guy named Mike Figlia. Mike Figlia, played by Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb's amazing in this. So Mike Figlia, he is, not, he's not a mob boss, but he's a corrupt waterfront, just shyster, but he's also very powerful. He has a bunch of cronies working for him, but he'll basically, once you bring him fruit, he will. you're lucky if you get some of these fruits on consignment. If you give it to him in consignment, he might not even pay you. Maybe he'll pay you cents on the dollar. What happens is Nick Garkos's father, maybe well, he, he he was kind of uh, finagled by Figlia. Figlia gave him a couple of drinks. His father actually got drunk and he got injured by the side of the road, hence the injury. So Nick Garkos decides to actually seek vengeance for his father to get a, maybe to get some of the money back or just to actually strike some kind of deal and make sure Mike Figlia, the next time he's offered, not to, not tomatoes, this time Nick Garkos goes in with another guy who, by the way, might also be shady. He, he gets he gets into a partnership with another guy and they both have trucks and they try to haul a bunch of apples to San Francisco and they're going to see if Mike Figlia will finally pay the, the top dollar for these apples. Well, we know the answer because Mike Figlia is very corrupt. And that is the premise of Thieves Highway, also starring in this movie, is Valentina Cortezi or Cortez or Cortezi. I don't know, maybe Cortezi. She plays this woman named Rika. She is, I was looking at IMDb, they quote, they describe her as a quote, street walker. She is a street walker out in San Francisco, San Francisco and she'll do anything for to make that bottom dollar. And she gets wrapped up in Nick Garcos's plan to possibly get some money from Mike Figlia because, you know, Nick Arcos is on a hero's journey and maybe Rika might help him or she might be a hindrance. So we don't know. And finally, we have to mention Nick's new partner is Ed Kinney, played by Millard Mitchell. Very colorful characters pretty much populate Thieves Highway. First off, Eric Holmes, that's my plot synopsis. Some insights on your thoughts on Thieves Highway. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought, your thought. Uh... 
Oh. Yeah, your thoughts on Thieves Highway. Yeah, um, I really liked it. I, but, I mean, to, to, we're getting into Matty Doe territory right now. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really digging all the Jules Dassin's movies. I think one of uh, one of his hallmarks is because, uh, uh, you know, some storytellers, they'll focus on plot and some focus on uh, character. And I think uh, I think, uh, you know, Jules Dassin's movies, um, they tend to have both like the characters kind of uh, the characters are almost the exact characters or the most interesting characters you need for that particular plot. And they do pretty well. Um, I wasn't expected to get uh, that excited about apples, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, apples don't excite me too much, but in fact, here we are talking about apples two weeks in a row. <laughs> and uh, I, I think this one is the slightly better Apple movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bruce. Um, um, a couple things I noted, um, cause I work on, uh, semi trucks and trailers, uh, on my day job, not on the podcast. That would be boring. Hello. We're doing a semi talk. What's <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Anyway. Um, but there's uh, the part where his, uh, he's trying to jack up the, he's under the trailer trying to jack it up. And then the, the tires about to blow. First of all, now I didn't work on trailers in the fifties. Um, so I don't know if they blow up like a uh, bubble gum, but I have been around a couple of uh, trailer tires. And if you don't know, they, they, you fill them up to about a hundred PSI. Uh, you know, some can be as high as like 120 PSI. So when they blow, you don't want to be around them, especially with the old trailers. They got the split rims. You don't want to be anywhere near that because that'll just cut you in half. Like if that rim, if that uh, that wheel rim comes off, that'll just, yeah, that that'll slice you right in half. So right away, I'm watching that part. I'm just like, <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a uh, common reaction to most people watching this, but for me, watching a uh, tra- uh, tractor tire blow up right next to someone's head was uh, probably one of the most horrifying. I've seen. And this is in, by the way, listeners, this is in reference to Richard Conte. He's driving the truck. It goes pretty much off off the track yeah. on the side of the road. He's trying to fix it and he's under the actual vehicle. Yeah, that's <laughs> what you're trying to jack up the trailer with your head. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's got to get uh, kind of back and forth. There's, you know, sort of a, sort of a little gambit there because Lee Jacobs character is trying to once he finally, you know, wheels into the city, uh, he has what it was yet. He has someone like slash his tire. So his truck's kind of sitting there and it's like, got to get this thing out of here. And then he's like, ah, oh, tire slash. And it's like, well, I guess I'll just buy your apples from you. Now, Greg, Bruce, you guys are older. Um, um, so maybe, you know, maybe you don't, or maybe there's some older listeners, but I did not know there were so many people wandering around the city like two in the morning, just dying to buy as many apples as possible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that whole area is probably, I I don't even know what I'm trying to think of what 1949 is, was like maybe around that area. I do know, I mean, to your point that Dassin has a flair for actually bringing a lot of realism to the cities. Yeah. So my guess is, 
maybe it might be a heightened reality, but still yeah. it really evokes the whole atmosphere of the area. So yeah, I I, I like the you know I just like the little uh, weirdnesses like that in there. Um, the characters, uh, I forget the main character's name and the streetwalker air quote Rika. Yeah, Rika's yeah. a streetwalker, and then I think what what's the name of the other guy? Gates or something. That relationship was almost kind of a gambit in and of itself. Because, like, all these characters kind of interweave with each other in, in real fun ways. Um, you know, because he's, like, he's kind of kind of pushing her off a little bit. Uh, he's got his, uh, it's not his wife. I think it's his girlfriend. And so there's a little love triangle thing there. Yeah, this, this movie kind of, this movie has a lot in it for a movie about moving apples from uh, one city to, I think they were going to San Francisco. Yeah, San and Francisco. It even it even had some uh, wages of fear elements in it. Um, you yeah, know, with the truck couple. driving. Yeah. yeah, especially one particular scene, which uh, we probably shouldn't talk about until maybe later on. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So here's the thing about AI Buzz Bezerades. Bezerades. Here on IMDb, it says, "Quote: As a young man, he was a mechanic and driver for the trucking company his father had started." and was an engineer at the Los Angeles Water Department. He sold short stories to Scribner's The New Republic and Esquire. So the idea of the trucking company experience was very familiar to the, to, to the screenwriter. So that's very interesting regarding this movie that definitely, like Jules Dassin, if you watch Night in the City, if you watch Thieves Highway, if you watch The Naked City, there is a sense of authenticity behind Dassin's work, especially in these cityscapes that he, from the late 40s and 50s. Yes. So basically the screenwriter knew exactly what he was doing on that scene where the tire was about to blow up next to his head. He's like, what's the scariest thing that could happen right now? I'm like, I know. And I'm watching it. He's like, I know because I wrote it. (laughs) Possibly. Or maybe he did it for dramatic effect, right? Who knows? Maybe he knew that that would be. But look, the good thing about it is I really felt that I was in San Francisco and I was actually in the city with these people. Bruce, did this feel real to you or did it feel studio esque or how did how did Thieves Highway hit you? Yeah, it felt pretty real to me. Um I, I agree on pretty much everything that Eric was saying. I you know, you definitely get the wages of fear with apples, I guess, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Wages it of apples. <laughs> doesn't seem like that would work, but it does work. Um and um talking about kind of the techniques he uses here, I, I really love how Dassin in this movie and a lot of his movies kind of does uh, similar to Hitchcock, right? He sets up the stakes, he sets up the situation, and then he lets it play out. So for example, in this movie, you have a couple of parallel stories with the two trucks, and we're not going to talk about exactly what happens, but you have the old dude driving one of the trucks of apples being followed by two guys who are trying to basically steal his load. And at the same time, he's got a truck that may or may not make it there. You know, it's, 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 it's terrible. It's rickety. And then you have our main character who's driving his truck and he gets there. And then he's got the whole problem of dealing with this guy who maybe caused his father to lose his legs and is going to try to rob him. And there's all these like interplay of him and the prostitute and everybody all, all kind of, um, I guess, what would you say? Kind of um, mentally dueling to see who is going to win this battle of wits and money and who's going to get out and in the end make, you know, make the proverbial killing, I guess, in that case. And uh, that all is, I think, really good. 
Uh, I wanted to add too, like when you talked about him finding out his dad had lost his legs, I love how that's done because there's this whole sequence at the beginning was like, Hey everybody, I'm back and I'm rich, you know, and, and I'm, I'm giving you all presents from all around the world. And, and his dad gets, what is it? Slippers and his dad and everyone just like stops. It's like this moment of silence. He's like, what did I say? And like they have the reveal and he doesn't have any, any feet basically. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, I'm not going to talk about it because we kind of mentioned it earlier that we're not going to talk about it, but there's a scene where some apples roll down a hill. And I read that um, Dasson considered that the best shot he ever did in any movie. He considered that his favorite shot. And I agreed when I was watching it, I thought that shot that leads to some apples rolling down a hill um, was very, very well shot and very impressive and, and, and pretty amazing. So real quick, was that the first one or the second one? Uh, it's a more epic one with okay the second one then yeah. the one towards the end yeah gotcha. yeah and then um i really loved how this is kind of two movies right so there's this whole like truck driving you know where are we going to make it are we not going to make it to our destination and we got money on the line all that and the second movie is this whole kind of noiry intrigue at the the uh, market and you kind of have this whole other story happened at the market that I thought was really interesting and odd. And it kind of, you could have just bogged down there, but I thought it became really interesting and tons of good character work there. And I think probably one of my favorite femme fatale slash noir lines is there's a point when uh, he's with the, the uh, Rika and Rika, I think she's rubbing his back or his neck because he had been hurt when the thing fell on him. Yeah. And he says, soft hands. And she says, soft hands. This is a sharp nails or something like that. Yeah, sharp nails. <laughs> I was like, that's <laughs> great. That's such a great Femme Fatale line. And their interactions were were pretty awesome throughout. And Lee J. Cobb cannot be understated in this movie as how awesome he is in this. And he's been awesome in a lot of movies, but he's yeah. really, really good in this. He's definitely, this movie is up an extra notch because of what a great villain he is. What a, what a slimy, like conniving villain he is throughout i think one of the other fun things about this and probably maybe why it's called thieves highway is that everyone's kind of uh out to get someone like uh, everyone's got their own gambit going on yep but then we get to see like everyone also has their line like uh lee cobb doesn't really have a line uh the people following the the apple trucks they they have a line you know the people riding the apple trucks they they have their so like you get to see a bunch of kind of uh sketchy characters you know in, in different ways but then you also get to see like uh yeah just uh how far they're willing to go some people like it's like and you know i want to make my buck but i don't want to do it that way so they're kind of uh honorable in that sort of way and then you got guys like lee jake uh uh lee Lee, uh, that guy Cobb, Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> yeah, you got uh, you guys like him that'll just do anything. He's just like a complete worm, and so it, it like the the thieves highway didn't make sense to me at first, and then after thinking about it, it's like, I was like eh, that's probably what it is because you got a you just got this big uh group of like even the even the the streetwalker like you know she's got you know she's got her line she won't cross as well. And yeah, it's good stuff. Some interesting information. The other night, I actually saw a mini document, not a documentary, but a segment on AI Buzz Bezerades. Bezerades is considered, was considered a great 
Hollywood legend slash screenwriter. And he actually recounted one of the, how he actually broke into Hollywood. And it's a very interesting story. He, he wrote a novel called They Drive by Night, maybe in the late thirties. And that movie, that book actually only netted him. It was a, he considered it a failure, only netted him back then. You got to think about 1938, 39. It netted him $500. What happened is the people, the powers that be in Hollywood got got attention to the novel and they they gave him a call and said, hey, you know, or his agent gave him a call and said, hey, Buzz, they want to actually buy your novel and make it turn into a movie. So they offered him $1,500 for pretty much the rights to make his novel into the, this thing called They Drive By Night. I believe, I believe the, no, the actual novel is called They Drive By Night. I, I could be wrong. But what happened is Buzz was thinking, well, if it's going to be made into a movie and they're only going to pay me $1,500, and he was saying this, he goes, $1,500, though, it's a lot in 1940. That's still, I was expecting a little bit more. So he, he actually ignores them. They come back a week later and they offer him 2500 So by then he's saying, oh, okay, well, it's still not a really good deal, but it's more than a 1500 He accepts the cash. That that $2,500, that money was his entryway into the studios of Hollywood. And when he walks into the studio, he he gets into, I think, a room of some kind of maybe producer or development executive, whatever. And at the corner of his eye, he saw that executive or or producer, when he opened the door, Bezzaretti's opened the door, he saw that producer shuffling things, shuffling screenplays and whatnot. And he was wondering what was going on. At the bottom of near the desk or something, he saw the actual screenplay that was made from his book, They Drive By Night. And he goes, wait, I think they just swindled me because they just gave me $2,500 and the script's already made. So, So what happened was this movie, They Drive By Night, released in 1940, is directed by Raoul Walsh. It stars, we've heard of these actors before, and Sheridan, George Raft, and Humphrey Bogart based on a screenplay by Jerry Wald and Richard McCauley. What's interesting is this, the actual plot behind They Drive By Night, going back to his his background. Quote, when one of two truck-driving brothers loses an arm, this time it's an arm that's being lost, they both join a transport company where the other is falsely charged as an accessory in the murder of the owner. So I'm assuming, I remember watching this years ago, really loving it, but now watching Thieves Highway, I'm assuming they drive by night and Thieves Highway would be great back-to-back features, especially if you go in from the writer's point of view with Bezzarades being raised within that trucking environment. So some interesting information on that writer of Thieves Highway. Final thoughts on uh, Thieves Highway, Eric? Awesome. Watch it. Jules Dassin uh, has been hit batting a thousand on me for so so far. Okay, what's your rating on this? So this is is it five stars? It's a- no, I mean they all are. Um, I'll give this a Jules Dassin rating. I think on the uh, Jules Dassin, like uh, this is mm, probably like a probably like a four star, four four and a half. Well, yeah, we'll four. go for, we'll, we'll go four stars. Four stars. Okay, Bruce, yeah. what's your rating on Thieves Highway? I go four and a half. I, I look, like this quite a bit. Yeah, I love this movie. This is a four and a half star film for me from Jules Dassin. Money all the way around. Valentina Cortez or Cortez, whatever you say her name. She's fantastic. I want to see more of her. She actually, 
she does steal the movie in my my opinion. She's the best part yeah, of these highway. But that's <laughs> the apples and oranges because, like you said, Bruce, <laughs> son of a bitch, <laughs> apples and oranges. Lee's, Lee J Cobb is fantastic. It gives an A performance. Yeah. So when you say that Valentina is better than Lee J Cobb, that's just like saying excellent versus excellent plus really this is a very very good movie so that is thieves highway again available on youtube available on on criterion high marks from me and bruce and eric is he gives it his own datsun rating of four stars but he again like he said he loves all of datsun's films and just to be just to be clear a four-star datsun movie is like a five-star anyone else movie like a four-star anyone <laughs> else movie <laughs> yeah okay these are very interesting ratings you know what okay so next up is the 1950 film night in the city here's a trivia for bruce perky and eric holmes was night in the city ever remade uh with uh sarah jessica parker okay the Sex in the City. I think it was remade twice. Remade as Sex in the City and then had a... Uh, <laughs> is that a joke? Is that a joke? It's a bad okay. one, but it's a bad joke. Bad joke? No, maybe Square Pegs is closer to Night in the City than Sex in the City because Sex in the City. So, no, I like Sex, sex in the City. What's uh, I'm trying I to think of what, like, the fact that you're asking makes me think, yes, it was remade. But I'm trying to think of, like, what movie had a similar plot to it. Bruce Perky. What is the correct answer? Well, I, I don't didn't memorize it, but I thought I saw another night of the city that was made in the nineties, I think, or eighties. Night in the city was remade in nineteen ninety two. It's directed by Irwin Winkler, and it stars Robert De Niro and Jessica yeah. Lange. And yeah, oh. before before Irwin Winkler, do you know who the original director was for Night in the City? Do you guys have any idea? Uh, Scorsese. Yes, Martin Scorsese was the actual original director be- behind Nine in the City. Again, it was supposed to star, it would star De Niro and Lang. He dropped out because he thought, well, he's already done it. And he's already done it. And, um, oh, by the way, how much do you like Kim Coates? Kim Coates, Eric Holmes? Uh, from Sons of Anarchy? Yeah, I do like you like him, him a lot. You like him a I lot? I like him a lot, yeah. J- just got an email. I'm slated to interview him. Hashtag, hashtag Greg the Name Dropper. Anyways, ask, ask, ask him if he knows about the remake of Night in the City. <laughs> Here's Justin. the thing. Here's the thing. I'm sorry about the movie buff flex on you guys, but Night in the City, where do you think it's streaming, guys? On YouTube. Good. good and probably yeah. Criterion Channel, I imagine. Right? Nowhere. Nowhere. Right now, as we speak, as we're recording, who knows, maybe down the road it will be somewhere, but you can't stream it, oh, and no. it's not available on, I believe, on DVD or, or digital. So that's really interesting. I, I saw that. I saw Night in the City in 92 when I was a, a UCLA Daily Bruin critic. And I don't know if I reviewed the movie, but I remember being a little bit disappointed by Night in the City. But we'll see. Maybe if I, after watching this movie, the das, Dasin work or or Dasan version, maybe I might really enjoy the De Niro version upon a rewatch. Yes. Yes, Sarah Combs. It is on the YouTube. It's on the YouTube. The full, yep. the full one? The full movie? Uh, we got uh, one that's uh, hour 40 and we got a, Two hour and thirteen minute one. Oh. Nineteen fifty. So and the other. wow, that's a big disparity in the runtime on both of these. Okay, but, uh, is the other one oh we'll see. Okay, we'll see. Okay, yeah. so now let's get to the Jules Dassin one from nineteen fifty Night in the City. Centers on well, Richard Woodmark, he plays this sort of a two bit. He's Harry Fabian. 
Harry Fabian is a grifter, and I don't even know. Bruce, did you? It says nightclub tout, T O U T. I never even heard of the word tout. Have you ever heard of the word tout before? I never heard of it, but after watching this, I understand what that is. But yeah, I've never heard of it before this. Yeah, Eric Holmes, you know what a tout is? He's a nightclub tout. I'm looking that up right now. I know what it is based on this. It's like he gets Uh, people to come to that nightclub. Yeah. Like he kind of cons people into coming to the nightclub. There you go. Yeah, he's he's a nightclub tout. So he's a grifter. Attempt to sell something typically by pestering people in an aggressive or bold manner. Yes, folks, if you want to actually check out Find Your Film, go go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're, we're available everywhere, findyourfilmpodcast.com, kind of stuff like that I usually do every single weekend. I might be a podcast out myself, but for this, <laughs> the purposes of this, for, for this review for Night in the City, again, Richard Woodmark is that grifter, Harry Fabian. He seems to have everything really cool. He has the beautiful Gene Tierney, Gene Tierney from that classic film, Laura, directed by Otto Preminger. Gene Tierney plays Mary, his long-suffering girlfriend, and she also works at the nightclub as a singer. He has a beautiful girlfriend. They live together, and everything should be fine. But Harry wants to give... He doesn't want to be a nightclub tout anymore. He wants to score some kind of big deal and make a lot of money. And he finds a way where he sort of ingratiates himself with a wrestling dad and his son, a wrestling legend and his son, And through these two people, the father and son, Harry believes that he can actually get them. He he becomes a wrestling promoter. And he believes that he can take them to the top and by vis-a-vis, they can take him to the top as well. Here are the barriers to entry regarding that enterprise. The wrestlers themselves, the father and son duo, they believe in Greco-Roman wrestling. They, They believe in a pure form of the art, whereas, well, this is night in the city. In the city, people want... Something like what, like the WWE or something like that. They they want entertainment, but so will Harry Fabian actually compromise his values and actually bring commercialism to this father and son duo, or will he stick to his Greco Roman wrestling aesthetic behind this? Also, this movie also stars Herbert Long, Herbert Lom, L O M, as Christo, and he is sort of the 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 big wrestling promoter in town, but he's also kind of a sort of a crime lord mob boss as well that is the premise of night in the city the thing about harry fabian though he's always all about the almighty dollar and capitalism and getting ahead and he's trying to one-up everybody the problem is when you are a grifter maybe that grift ends up you might be the one who gets grifted at the end that is the premise of night in the city again eric combs you take it from here uh, so what i liked about this one at least from like it's been a couple about a month or two since i watched it so it's not completely fresh, but as I remember it, the so the main character, they set him up as, like you said, a grifter. Like he's always pulling scams on people. And so this move night in the city almost works like a like an anti-suspense because he has something that fell in his lap that's actually legit. Like he right. has he has the wrestler. The wrestler wants to work with him. Like he's got to kind of finagle a couple things, but for the most part, like what he's trying to what he's trying to get is um for the most part legitimate. But it's like a boy who cried wolf situation. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so now he's in a position where if any little thing goes wrong, that <laughs> like that, that's the thing that the whole thing's on the up and up, but if something goes wrong, it's looked at as, Oh, this is another one of your cons. 
uh, which you know we're watching. We know that's not the case. Uh, this so it's kind of like uh kind of like walking on eggshells just to make sure everything kind of sets up and goes right. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the, this was another good one. I I, I kind of would. I I really want to see the remake just to see how that is. I would have really loved to see what a Scorsese remake with the uh, De Niro in this would have been because that would have been fantastic. Uh, but yes, it, this is a this is a good one and another Jules Dass movie. I mean, the characters are there, the plots there, and just everything falls into place. And when things don't fall into place, you know, it means things. And I I think you know, I can say this a million times: Jules Dassin does suspense well. And I think he's a master of suspense. I mean, Hitchcock's good, but yeah, don't don't say master of suspense ever again. Unless Hitchcock is the Lord of suspense. Jules Dassin is the Lord of the Lord of suspense. The Lord of suspense. You mentioned Scorsese. Scorsese was talking to after watching this movie. Actually, Joseph Bridges, a member of our Cinematics Facebook group community, he actually saw this movie back in November and he actually reviewed it and he said, well, he told our fellow members, this movie, Night in the City, reminded him of, he was assuming this film influenced the Safdie brothers for their films like Uncut Gems and Good Times. And And it goes, yes, Eric. That nails it on the fucking head. Yep. And Eric Holmes is talking about the pacing and the sense of suspense that Jules Dassin embodies and, well, we're assuming the Safdie brothers were really influenced by we're assuming by dassin's work or maybe who knows uh, we're they're they're smart brothers i'm assuming they know dassin and obviously they know scorsese scorsese mentioned this about night in the city and richard widmark's performance and the whole thing he loved the movie i was assuming bruce when you saw this were you saying this is a total movie that scorsese would love night in the city yeah i i, I actually was thinking about the safety thing even more but yeah i think i think of scorsese too i think that um like you mentioned with the safety thing. Well, what Eric was saying about it being kind of like he has it set, but then he's just anything can crack his his perfect plan. But I thought it saw it more as like he's having to spin all these plates. And he all these plates are having to spin at the same time and he's having to run around and make sure they all spin. And one side doesn't know what the other side's doing exactly. And he has to keep all these different sides from knowing about the other sides. And once that cracks things go sideways. So, but I could see Scorsese loving this too, because of the energy of this movie and the, the real, the real, uh, I guess, sense of place and of setting, which I think that is something I'm noticing now after seeing, I don't know, five or six Dassons. He really, whatever his setting is, he loves to have a lot of location shots and he likes to really give you an idea of what that setting is like. And I think I read somewhere about this movie that it had like, 60 or 70 different location shots in this movie and not very many sets. And along with that, the trivia I read, and I, you might, I don't know if you guys read this trivia, I thought was kind of interesting. This is his transition movie. This is when he's on the edge of being blacklisted. And in fact, to the point that one of the studio execs, and I want to say it was Zanuck or one of, one of the studio execs told him, said, hey, you know what? You're about to be blacklisted. Shoot your most expensive scenes first. Because you may not have any money by the halfway through this shoot. And I thought that was interesting to know about this movie. And you kind of watch this movie and you're like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Because there's some great montages where there's a couple of montages where 
he's essentially going to all of the denizens he knows in London, like all these different types of con people, right? And he goes to each of their settings, trying to get them to to give him the money to get his thing off the ground. And it, it, each of them is a really interesting character piece. They give you a different setting. They give you a different idea of different kinds of scams that are going on. And then they all come back into play at the end of the movie. And I thought that's also great storytelling and also great character building and great kind of scene setting and kind of building this whole underworld of London at the time, which is super fun. And then Widmark is just wiry and sweaty and out of control. I mean, talk about Safdie brothers. I mean, you talk about (laughs) uncut gems, that energy is definitely in his performance. And I think he even mentioned in another piece of trivia I mentioned was he had to run around so much in this movie that he lost a ton of weight. And that's why he's so wiry in this movie. It's great. It's so good. I think this is one of my favorite performances committed to celluloid period. Because, because I think it, if you ask what are some of the most showiest performances ever in cinema, You've got to mention this Richard Woodmark performance in Night in the City. You have to mention it. Also worth mentioning is Scorsese saying about Night in the City. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, yeah, it is set in London. But for me, it it really hit home for him because a lot of people, he he said, a lot of people see Night in the City as a melodrama. And yes, it is. But I related to this movie because that that was exactly what was happening in my neighborhood. That's how people were trying to survive. So yes, melodrama, but yes, very accurate in its depiction of people just trying to actually scrape a couple of nickels together. And it really shows a class struggle between the people, the haves and the have-nots, and what happens when they commingle. A lot of a lot of bad things happen. So between Night in the City and also in and also Thieves Highway, there's a, like Bruce was saying, there's also a sense of place, but there's also a sense of just that stark realism that Dasson brings. And what's cool about it is sometimes when you have stark realism and you have sort of almost a docudrama feel, they might they they could be boring boring, but it's absolutely like Eric loves them. It's very entertaining stuff, very entertaining yarns, I guess. So Eric, oh no, I I, I was just gonna say I think with uh, all of Jules Dassin's movies, they're like those homework type movies, or they seem that way. Um, and yeah. Not just not just with these two, but with all of them. At least that I've seen, like brute force for Phoebe, uh, French, uh, and blah blah. This sounds like, but like every one of them, I put them in, and I'm just like, you know, once. And he doesn't he doesn't waste a lot of time. Like he gets right to the point of like, you know, you know who these characters are. Um, you know, he sets up everyone's everyone's stakes and like. They just fucking move. And the, yeah. these are like the homework movies. It's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't know, Thieves Highway, Black White, blah, blah, blah. And then you watch it and it's like, all right, so you're moving how many apples? Where do you need it? Okay. <laughs> like it, it's, they're, they're really easy to just totally get invested in. Well, and to your point, Eric, the beginning of Night in the City is literally Richard Widmark's character running from a guy who's trying to collect a debt, breathlessly running from him to the his girlfriend's house and then like basically having to get money from her to like get this guy off his back and that's like how it starts like right off the get bait you know then, like, the energy and then they flash forward three years and do nothing for half oh wait no they don't do that in this. <laughs> no they the don't story do that. keeps going <laughs> the story keeps going this movie is lens by mutz greenbaum what a name wow. mutz 
M-U-T-Z. And this is beautifully shot. When you, if you look up listeners, if you have any, if you're really interested in cinematography, there's a lot of, which I'm not, by the way, I'm not an expert when it comes to lighting and visual compositions, but there are some beautiful visual compositions in this movie. There's going to be, I think Bruce, you, you're actually more, more eloquent on this, but there's one of the, I guess the nightclub boss, there's a scene where the nightclub boss is either in his office on one section, he's in his office and he's talking on the phone or something, or he's mm-hmm. just in his office by himself. And then you see the Jean Tierney character come into the nightclub and she's on the, the right side of that frame. And they're speaking to each other, not directly, but from yeah. different locations. And it looks like, it looks like a Brian De Palma split screen. I was exactly thinking the same thing when I watched it. I was like, is this a split diopter? What is this? You know? Yes. And it's not a split diopter. It's not a split screen. It's just, well, Mutz, Greenbaum, and, and Dassin decided, hey, let's figure this one out. And guess what? This friggin' movie from 1950 has one of the most interesting shots I've seen all friggin' year. And it's so amazing what, what they can do. And I'll, okay, going back to cinematography, listeners, if you probably know more than me or Eric or Bruce regarding lighting, there's a lot of use of quote unquote low key lighting in this black and white film. You're, you're going to see a lot of stylistic film noir flourishes in Night in the City. And without giving too much away, I love this film so much. The ending of this movie is absolutely holy crap fantastic. And yes, Joseph Bridges, congrats to you because I just realized the ending of this is rivals that of Uncut Gems. You know, I, I can really see that direct correlation, just verbalizing it right now. Eric Holmes? Oh, yes. Yes. Bruce Werke? <laughs> yeah, and I even pointed out to you, like, I Google Earthed where it was shot, and you yes. can find the – and it's amazing that the the steps, the stairs, and the bridge are are all still there. Like, literally the steps that he leads – I'm not going to say what happens, obviously, but he leads from this dock, and that dock is still there, and the steps are still there, and the bridge is still there, and it's pretty – that's pretty cool when you find stuff like that. Like, still exists. It's a real place. Oh, yeah. The one thing about the ending, though, is like uh, yeah. where it goes hmm. in, in relation to – where the because most of the movie is uh about the the setting up the wrestling thing right and then it turns into where the like the where the ending goes feels like almost like a different movie entirely well i mean okay so i think what happened i can't really talk about the ending but for me but I'm, i'm i'm saying like i'm i'm thinking of the ending and how that plays out and i think of the rest of the movie and how that plays out and I'm like, that's those are two different movies, and they're, they're two different movies that work well, and, and they come like it. They kind of uh, blend into each other, and that all makes sense while you're watching it. But now that I'm thinking back on it, it's like that ending could have been a whole separate movie on its own, just a, a basically a chase movie. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, this movie is again <laughs> Joseph Bridges. You. You son of a, you know what? I'm just thinking about what how how accurate, right, Bruce? How accurate Uncut Gems is because Uncut Gems deals with Adam Sandler's character. He's making some good enough money, right? He's he's support, but he's supporting his wife, he's supporting his mistress, and he still wants to make a big score. Harry Fabian, just like Adam Sandler's character in, in Uncut Gems, they're both trying to cook things up. They're trying to, and they're going a mile a minute. But the end of this. Eric, you, you got to see the ending of this again. It's just, 
I think it really what do you think Bruce about the end does it tie everything together regarding well I mean but yes I mean it has a it's his character arc obviously yeah. and it's that's the whole point is that he goes someplace and I mean you could say it's kind of abrupt I guess but at the same time it, the whole point is when he gets pushed into a corner how does he deal with it and when he gets pushed into a corner towards the end the way he deals with it shows something about a change in character, I guess you'd say. Very good, Bruce. Very, yes. <laughs> definite, a definite. And Eric, in, in fairness to you, the first time I watched it, I was thinking because I'm the Palma fan, Stan, I was like, oh, that, that that's a very cool scene. Oh, that's another cool sequence. And then I go, wait, did I just miss the entire subtext of this? So, Bruce, I had to go back and watch it. Okay, I, I get it. There's a life and a humanity and a story about this and it's really good. I, for me, I'm going to go first with my rating of Night in the City again, like Thieves Highway available on YouTube. As much as I love Thieves Highway, I would highly, I, this is a five star banger for me, Night in the City. Absolute classic, right? Everything I want. Film noir, beautiful black and white lighting, great performances and great, great story. Five stars for me. How, how about you, um, Bruce Berkey, your rating on Night in the City? Um, I'm equal. I think they're, they work differently for me, but I like them equally. So I'm going to go four and a half for this one as well. Very, very good. And finally, Eric Holmes, your rating on Night in the City. I'm probably going to bump this one up to uh, four and a half on the Dassin scale. Like, like I said, this is different than a regular four and a half. Four and a half Ds is what he says. This is four, four and a half, half Ds this gets. Four and a half I mean, for D's. me, Rafifi's the five. That that's like the top of the mountain. And it is uh, so good. That that's a really tough mountain to crack. Um that and probably brute force. But uh the these two are these two are completely solid. And mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. I I'd, I'd say, in fact, if you haven't seen Rafifi, um Good luck finding it anyway, <laughs> but uh, I, I would just check out the rest of his movies and then eventually get to Rafifi. Just save that. That'll be the that'll be the little treat for later. That will be the gem. The gem. Yeah. You'll get through all of his filmography. And it's like gem. he's so good. It can't get better. Oh, let's put in Rafifi. Oh shit, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you want to see who is the granddaddy regarding heist movies regarding prison dramas regarding if you have any appreciation for homicide life on the street or law and order where did there where did this whole crime drama in the big city of new york start from a lot of these genres came from the works i actually maybe jules dassin was sort sort of one of the progenitors one of the leaders behind all of these movements whether he knew it or not if you want a prison film, go to Dassin. If you want a heist film, go to Dassin. If you want a straight-up New York film with crime elements, go to Dassin with The Naked City. So many great stuff. Oh, final thoughts on Jules Dassin, Eric Holmes. Real quick, I might be yeah. a complete idiot. Is this the one where they're running up that, that tower thing? Or am I thinking of the end of uh, the, what? The, the Naked the- City? I think that you're thinking of the Naked City. This one ends, okay. on, ends that, on a bridge in the water. It. I, am, I the was bridge. like, how, how are you guys not seeing this? The bridge in the water. Dude, so I, I suck at life. No worries. Watch, watch Naked City, too. That one's really good. Very, very good. Na- again, <laughs> and, and you know, that explains why they seem like two different movies. 
Because they were. <laughs> yeah, because they were. Yes. Folks, the Naked City is sort of a day in the life of a, I believe if I recall, just sort of a, they're investigating a murder. It's sort of a, again, like a law and order. You get to see yeah. detectives on the case. One of them is sort of a wizened detective, maybe in his early 60s. And he's this pretty much the quote unquote star of mm-hmm. the Naked City. But it looks... It's one of these things where it's a great voiceover. Like there's a million, a million lives that they, in the city that never sleeps and stuff like that. It has the great opening voiceover of the Naked City, but it's a great. That's also a very, very good movie. That, that also reminds me of the end of Paths of Glory when uh, when uh, Kirk Douglas is on the uh, crucifix saying, "I am Spartacus." Very good mixed <laughs> messages on endings. Very good, Eric Holmes. Now let's we're we're finished. Final thoughts on Dassin. From you, Bruce Berkey, any couple of zingers, ringers? On, on no, your I mean, I, I think that what Eric said is really the best way to go. Like, these are older movies to a lot of people. They're going to seem like homework. They're going to seem like they're kind of dull or kind of dated. Uh, I think that these are just so entertaining and so energetic and so just solid as far as just just movies in general that you should check out some of these movies. Yes. You think, are there any barriers to entry regarding these two films? It's just basically, if you don't like I think black it's just and white your films? expectation. Yeah. Your expectation yeah. of movies that are older, like being a certain kind of movie and other than being older, I don't think they are. I think that they're, they're very, I mean, we're comparing them to uncut gems, you know, <laughs> so that should yeah. give you an idea. Right. So there you go. I, I'll be honest, I prefer this to Uncut Gems, and I love Uncut Gems for me. So anyways, it's again, it's like it's like comparing two, two A films. So very yeah. good, good on Safdie and good on Jules Dassin. Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two, final trailer. I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. Right, I am. My, my trans game has no power, power over me. <laughs> Before we get to Bruce and Eric's movie of featured film, let me just quickly mention this film that I covered from IFC Midnight called Rubicon. When I was young... Astronauts were like gods. Well, when you were young, countries existed too. I was there. It's enough. You had enough of it. Commander Wagner. Jensen, what's going on? Anywhere. Rubicon to ground control. Ground control. Do you read? Does anybody hear us? Anyone? You need to lie down. This fog is toxic. Nobody can survive this. We're safe here. The algae gas exchange works. I can survive. Fought so hard for a planet that doesn't exist anymore. They can't be dead. Hello? We don't have much oxygen left. These people need our help. If we could bring your algae down there, we could save 300 lives. Flying down? Are you out of your mind? So what, we do nothing? We just watch them die? Have you gone completely crazy in that lab? You don't get to talk to me about crazy, mister. Either you come with us or you stay. Go on! Come on! You really think they would give you their algae if it was the other way around? 
It's your job to keep us alive. You're a good person. You know that this is right. And here is the plotline behind Rubicon. Following a catastrophe on Earth, the planet is covered in a toxic fog. The crew in the space station must decide whether to risk their lives to get home and search for survivors or stay safe in the station's, quote, algae symbiosis system. So ultimately, it centers on several just, well, there's scientists, there's a soldier, there's different people of different professions. They're living in the spaceship and the reason why they're able to breathe and everything and and sustain a pretty good life in the space station is because of this algae that's actually there. The problem is the algae might be able to save a group of people on Earth, like over, well, there's some people who might be, who might need it on Earth. And the whole crux behind Rubicon is, do these members of this, I guess, space station take the algae, leave their space station and go to Earth to help the people on Earth? Or do they stay and decide to, hey, you know, Let's just look out for number one. Just look out for us and not go back to Earth to try to save those inhabitants, our fellow Earthlings. That is a premise of Rubicon. It is visually interesting. There's, I don't know how much money this director, Lenny Lurch, had, or she also co-wrote it. And the main star is Julia Franz Richter. I recently, for Cinematics, I recently interviewed them. And I'll, I'll be posting that later this week on the Cinematics podcast feed. And they're both very interesting to, to speak with. That said, Rubicon, if you're expecting lots of laser fights and, and uh, action-based sci-fi, you're not going to get it with Rubicon. It's a morality play with some really interesting visuals, striking visuals. This, for me, was a solid recommend. Three and a half out of five stars for Rubicon. I liked what it had to say on a thematic level. made me think and had a lot of pretty pictures behind it and good performances. Again, do not expect Alien from Ridley Scott or friggin' Star Wars or even Gravity from Rubicon. Expect more of a morality tale with some really good storytelling behind it. That is Rubicon. It is in theaters and everywhere you rent movies July 12th. One of my many... One of my many regrets in life is that I never got married and had kids or maybe never fell in love or never got to actually, uh, you know, just live out my dreams. Coming a close second is the fact that I, I did not, I was not able to see Fair Game this week, which is in theaters July 8th, on demand July 12th. I bet you by the end of this review from Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, I'd be regretting more of not watching Fair Game than actually not finding the love of my life because Bruce Porky has been crazy pumping this movie so much that Eric, my my ears and Eric Holmes's ears are bleeding at how much Bruce Porky loves Fair Game. Let's start off with you, Bruce. Fair Game, lead us away. Well, Fair Game. Okay, I had to look up. It is from 1986, and I guess it's getting re-released and remastered. I don't know exactly the story, but coming out limited release in theaters probably, and then VOD, and I'm assuming some Arrow or fancy release for it. Either way, Fair Game 1986, directed by Mario Andriccio. I said that great. I know. Andriccio, maybe. Um, Eric Holmes, you you missed the sound effect. Nailed it. Where, where was that yeah, nailed? Andriccio. Andriccio, maybe. Um, 
I'm going to say Andrikio. Ah, yes. Perfect. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the basic story is uh, you have this uh, woman, Jessica. She's at somewhere in Australia, out back-ish. And uh, she's living on this uh, wildlife preserve. And she is, her, her dad is gone. Gone like on a trip or something. And uh, it basically, this, what I, <laughs> this, is, this is a kind of B-movie that I don't know how I did not ever see this in the eighties. I think because it never got a U.S. release. This is one of those movies. If it was on cable, I would have watched it like a bunch of times. Uh, basic concept is she starts out and she's just driving on the road with her dog in her truck. And behind her comes this big old truck. I think in the movie, it's called the beast. And you can just imagine this big old, <laughs> if you look at the poster, you can see it. It's this big old pickup truck. Uh, it's got spotlights. It's got red headlights. It's got this giant, weird, twisted metal grill. Uh, and these three dudes are driving it behind her. They're tailgating her. Uh, the one dude, R uh, Ringo, gets out and starts doing that, like athletic moves and jumping on her truck and then jumping back on their truck and kind of, kind of terrorizing her in a really lame way, but enough that it's really, you know, obviously freaking her out and pissing her off. And so begins a cat and mouse game and it escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. And this is kind of like a, like a one person Mad Max movie with, or uh, maybe a really crazy outback version of home alone, but she's a, a grown up. Um, and all of it, it. And what I really like about this movie is that first of all, it's, it all is practical. And there's some crazy practical stuff that happens in this movie. And the way that she doesn't just get terrorized and hide throughout the movie, she keeps escalating it by going after them and doing things to them. Cause these guys are basically camping out near her, her house in kind of in the wilderness. And they keep doing stuff to escalate kind of the terrorizing of her and then she goes to them and does stuff to escalate it back. So it basically becomes it, be, it the whole movie is this. The whole movie is just this battle between them and it's freaking amazing. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's got this oh and it's also got this really crazy electronic soundtrack that is just bonkers and really over the top. And at some points it's it it really calls attention to itself but in a way that I think is kind of awesome. Uh, and she is just a fantastic, a fantastic foil for these, these three assholes. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. You said the scores over the top. Does it work? Yeah. Oh, I think it, it works fabulously. Uh, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm not being very eloquent, but, uh, if you like B movies, if you like Ozploitation movies, if you like, I don't want to say rape revenge movies because this is that's a very light version of that. This doesn't ever get that hardcore, although it teeters on the edge of it. But if you like that kind of like woman gets terrorized and then she gets back at the guys, this movie is definitely something you should check out. Okay. Wow. Eric, you hopped on board on this movie. Does it work for you? I got I got huge nail gun massacre vibes from this. Um can't really explain why without running uh giving away the ending of nail gun massacre but if you know you know um this is uh we might have to get jack 
Fitzpatrick on the show sometime. Is there <laughs> something about Australians that they just like putting a bunch of random bullshit on their cars? <laughs> like if they're <laughs> no air shit. quote bad guy. Um, yeah, between the, like <laughs> the, their their truck was a total Mad Max vehicle. Um, in fact, the characters were total Mad Max characters. Uh, we're talking about the Headhunter. We're like Headhunters, like this little corner in Middle Earth. This seems like it's just that little corner of Mad Max, the you know the the Mad Max you Fury Road's going on over here, but over here there's this woman getting terrorized and fucking some shit up in the process. It, it feels kind of like a kind of like one of those things. Um, yeah, th- this was uh, <laughs> it, it was really extremely cheesy in a lot of parts, um, but like in in the in the fun kind of cult kind of movie ways that uh, that you want to see in movies like this. Um, yeah, the, the soundtrack is good. And, uh, actually speaking of Mad Max, I wonder now I haven't seen the first three in forever, but there's a part where she's tied up to the front of the Mad Max vehicle. Yeah. Just like it's similar to how he was in Fury Road. Is that, do you think uh, George Miller may have gotten some, and then they did the, they did the stunts and a lot of the stunts look very similar to what Tarantino did in death proof. So I'm thinking yeah. George Miller and Tarantino probably seen this. I've never heard of it until this week, which is unfortunate because th- this is like a, this is a total midnight movie. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm not this an expert movie. This is a party movie for sure. Like, Oh, a hundred percent movie. I'm not an expert on Ozploitation films. Do you, have you guys watched a bunch of them? Or are they are they any good in uh, that genre? I, I'm not that well versed in it. Bruce, same. I've only seen a few. Um, I know there's that that one documentary I've seen, which goes into a bunch of them, and they have a whole. I think once again, Joseph Bridges is pretty well versed on this as well. Yeah. But there's there's a whole bunch of subgenres within Ozploitation. If if you're into it, I think there's a ton you can delve into. Very very cool. And that is that is fair game. What is your rating on this, Eric Holmes? This is a one hundred percent three star banger. I think Bruce <laughs> mentioned uh, we got a three star banger in the worst, and he was dead on. What about you, Bruce? Um, I actually go straight four and a half stars. I think this wow. is better than a three star banger. I was, I mean, but with the caveat that this is like it has to kind of be your thing, right? Like you have to know going in this is kind of B movie, and if you kind of can vibe with that then it might really hit you but if you don't like that kind of thing that cheesy 80s b-movie kind of a deal it may not be for you but i think this is actually a really good movie so i'm gonna so, push back that three star banger is better than a four well star yeah I, I understand <laughs> we're getting to the point now where our rating systems are all over the place you have a dasson rating you're gonna have to have like a whole chart just to show what the ratings mean i don't know yeah yeah we have the bruce Perky. What is it? The, the full five star classic Bruce Berkey. Yes. We have, we have the 6.9 stars from Eric Holmes. That this is really- a two star, but this is like a Michael Bay two star, which means, ugh. <laughs> yeah, we have the Michael Bay two star one. But, I mean, also- when she starts making traps and when the stuff starts getting destroyed on her property, it's, it's, it's glorious, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's so glorious. <laughs> okay. So that is fair game again in theaters. In theaters July 8th, and it's on demand July 12th. And you know what? We just wanted to cover it this week just to give you guys a heads up on Fair Game. That's 
really an exciting, exciting movie. We apologize that it's not coming out this week. We want to get in early because you know why? Next week, Bruce Berkey has something, a digital film, a, did, a, a movie that's on digital. I think it's with Danny Trejo. He can't wait to talk to you guys about that next week. Right, Bruce? <laughs> oh, Am I correct on this? <laughs> Maybe. It might be a different kind of banger. We'll see. We'll see what he stars that one gets. <laughs> That is a is that either is a promise or a threat or a little bit of both. You know what? I think we need time for a musical interlude. Bruce, what kind do we have any music out there? Is is there someone to supply us with some guitar? Piano? Anyone? I mean, I feel like something should drop, but I just don't know what should drop. I mean we're in hmm. Australia, it's a down under. I mean Sack- things drop. Sacktown? Do they call it Sacktown? Sacktown, Sacramento, drop, drop, drops. Hmm, yo, Pete, drop that beat. Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie. No. What's in the fucking box? Thank you, Peter Beta. We, by the way, I still haven't sent our find your film ad to Peter Beta. Pete, we've aired your middle class film class ad. This is will be the fourth episode. You owe us four episodes of Find Your Film ads. By the way, ads created by Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. Not by me because I'm not a team player. But Peter Beta, start you have. You're not just going to drop that beat. You're going to play our ads for four episodes straight. Is that a good threat, Eric? What do you think? Guys, he's you, gonna, Bruce? He's going to fuck that beat and that beat's going to like it. <laughs> Very good, Eric Holmes. Speaking okay. of speaking, <laughs> that, was a, that was a bit aggressive. I that was a little. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was a little low. Well, you know, get, hmm, I don't know. You know, Eric Holmes. You, you buy some middle class film class merch. You think you think you can be that aggressive? <laughs> How dare you, Eric fair Holmes? Fair game. Fair game. Fair game. <laughs> fair game. Very very punny, Bruce Perky. Now let's get to this week's box film, Bruce Perky. Watch oh, yes, it. Yes. Yes. Uh, this was suggested by David Gulick. Gulick. I don't know how to say your name. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Check him out on TikTok, by the way. Dave, yeah, you did nail it. David Gulick or Gulick. I'm going to say Gulick. You can actually look him up on TikTok. He does reviews on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And very, very good. I like his reviews. So good job, David. So uh, Level 16 on Netflix as we speak, or it was when I watched it. Who knows? It's not like Amazon. It probably won't disappear as we speak. But um it's from 2018, directed by Danish, Danishka Esterhazy, Esterhazy. And this basically, uh, and I think Eric has seen most of this movie. So this movie is um, kind of an interesting, weird sort of a, a mm, I want to say, not really kind of women in prison kind of movie. It's almost more of a dystopian, like, uh, yeah, it has elements to that. So you basically have this. A movie where you start out and you see all of these young women and they're they're kind of walking up to this station and they're supposed to wash their hands and there's like a voice telling them wash your hands be clean and then move along and then wash your hands and be clean move along and then one girl falls out of the line another girl goes to help her and then they're all scared because if you don't comply there is punishment and very quickly you get an idea there's this institute and there's levels level 13, level 14, level 15. And as these girls are growing up, they're basically getting indoctrinated in all these kind of ways of living. And they're being told that if you live this kind of pure life, follow our rules, 
do all of the things the way we tell you, stay in line, that there's this, the people are going to come uh, and you're going to get your family and your family will basically adopt you and take you away and you'll have this perfect life. But they only want you if you're really good and you follow everything the way we have, you know, we have it set. And of course, this is kind of set up as this kind of dystopian, uh, what would you say, uh, Orwellian sort of, obviously there's something weird going on in this institute and you don't know exactly what it is. And um, there's a very Barbie-like woman that kind of comes in every so often and gives them lessons. Every so often they get to watch a movie, but the movie is some, you know, movie from the 40s or something that's very um, uh, ana- anachronistic to where they're at. Joel Stassen movie. Yeah, seems to be <laughs> modern days, right? They're given, uh, quote, vitamins. And uh, all these things that set you up so you know that something's up. Uh, oh, and the guards speak Russian. And that's also something like, where is this happening? Are the are they in Russia? Are they in America? What's going on? So uh, kind of like Squid Game or something like that, where you have unknown forces occurring. And then, the, of course, at some point, there's a crack. And one of the girls says to the other girl and she had known her from another level. They're at level 16, obviously now, which is supposed to be almost the end, almost the time when they're going to get chosen by a family. If they did a good job and they became upstanding citizens in this world, um, the other girl says, don't take your vitamins. And one night she doesn't, the main girl doesn't take her vitamins. And lo and behold, when you don't take your vitamins, you don't fall asleep as hard as the other girls. You essentially, you don't get knocked out and you can be aware of what happens during the night. And that's kind of the beginning of slowly uncovering like what's happening in this universe. So you can kind of get the idea. Uh, it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of a, like what's happening. What's the, what's, what's the actual purpose of this Institute or this school or whatever it is. And then are they going to get out and what will happen? And that's kind of the basic idea. Uh, and it's, it's low budget. It's indie, but it's pretty good. I'd say it's pretty solid. It doesn't blow your socks off, but it has a, a pretty good twist to it, and uh, it's got some decent performances. Pretty interesting story. What were your What was your impression so far? How far you got, Eric? Yeah, so um, I started watching that today, actually. So I only got like about a little over an hour into it before we started recording. And uh, this is like on four star territory for me so far. It, it's kind of like uh, at the moment, it's uh, that all depends on how it sticks to landing, um, which is kind of what I what I wanted to ask you about. It's like this is a movie if like it's got heavy nineteen eighty four vibes. Like real, like they just got done right nineteen eighty four, and like we're gonna write a bit of that. Um. Um. And a little bit of the cue, but I mean, like it's it's a total totalitarian kind of yes. uh, uh, microcosm. And so I'm just like, the more because from the very first first start of the movie, it like keeps you in, um, it keeps a mystery, but it's in like it's not like it hides information from you. Yes, I, it it's constantly just giving you a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I'm just eating it all up. Oh, what what else you got? Ooh, what what else do we find out about this place as it goes along? So I'm really uh, like, this is one of those movies so far. If it sticks to landing, like it, this seems like it's on on the path to be like a five star banger. But that ending just shits the bed. 
it's I don't, still probably a three and a half. I don't think it does. I mean, I think I was in three and a half territory pretty much all the way along. So that's kind of where I ended up. I think if you're in four star territory at the point you're at, I don't yeah. think it will let you down. Sweet. So I that, think it, that, that's all I want to know. Cause I'm yeah. going to watch once we're done recording this. And I think we're doing cinematics after this. I'm, I'm watching the rest of it, but right now I'm just like, and then what? And then <laughs> I think this is one of those movies like you, like you described it. So it sets up the situation. If you're intrigued by the situation, it keeps slowly revealing what's going on. And as it gets to the end, you find out what's going on. And that payoff I think is, is good and actually fits the world that you're watching. Sweet. And then I think the, the ultimate payoff is good too. I mean, this only goes so many different ways, but I think it does it in a, a pretty uh, efficient and a pretty, Sa- uh, satisfying way for this kind of movie. And like I said, I don't think it's going to, this isn't going for anything epic. It's going for, you know, an intriguing dystopian, like you said, totalitarian um, thriller mystery. And I think it does that all the way through. So I think it's very solid. And for, a, and it's not a series. It's not a mini series. Yeah. It's a, it's a movie. It's a standalone movie. And um, I think you could do a lot worse. This is kind of like we talked about with them. Um, what was the uh, Numi Rapace movie that we watched uh, where one? she has uh, seven days? Uh, what oh, happened, uh, on what happened on Monday? Yeah. This oh, is I like, thought it was You Are Not My Mother. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be that. But I'm going to say, like, this is like one of those kind of movies that's on Netflix that is just kind of buried. And it's a real, like, kind of a little hidden gem. So I think that if you like, want if you want to find those kind of things on Netflix and not another series, yeah, this is a great place to go. Yeah, Jack Fitzpatrick. I, I think he recommended a movie that we covered. Mm. Um, and this kind of, this kind of started reminding me of that where they're all in the room and they gave them, do you remember which one I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah. They, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called, they, but I know what you're talking about. They said you have to, the, there was like some rule they gave them at the beginning and then yep. they just left the room and they had to figure out the, yep. what, that, what the thing is. It was kind of like that. You're just getting like yep. little bits and little bits. And uh, I mean, fuck, they do that in cube too. Not yeah. Cube 2. Cube, Hypercube sucks. The first Cube movie, but they do that in Cube also. Where so, like, yeah. you just kind of go and you're just figuring out a little bit and a little bit more. Of it's this. a movie where you start with a somewhat mysterious world where the movie, the point of the movie is to uncover what the world is all about, but also to give you some kind of thrills and intrigue along the way. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, you want to hear you want to hear a really interesting? No, actually, you want to hear a really boring Cube story? That'll take 10 seconds. <laughs> sure. Sweet. Do you like do you, wait, Bruce? Do you love Cube? Cube's good, yeah. Eric, do you love Cube? I like Cube, and I like Cube Zero. I hate Hypercube. Okay, so I was supposed to interview Vincenzo. I think he's the director, Vincenzo Natali, for Cube. Yep. It was a roundtable. I showed up to the interview. I didn't see the movie. I coasted just like I'm uh, coast, just like I coast with you, Bruce <laughs> and Eric. I just let you guys do all the work. And you know, even that day when we did the cube press day, I said to myself, I feel so bad as an entertainment journalist that I have not seen cube. I think it started Lucy Lou too, if I recall. Anyways, I said to myself, I promise I'm going to see cube. I still haven't, I, I still haven't gotten to that promise to actually watch cube. Eventually I will watch cube hashtag me hashtag spree for a follow. Yes, sir. Eric Perhaps uh, uh, Bruce's uh, uh, director spotlight is going to be Vincenzo Natale then. <laughs> that is so good. Don't you <laughs> watch God, cube? He figured, uh, figured it out. Darn what's it. in the box, Bruce? What's in the box? All right. What is in the box is a movie I added to it because I never get around to watching it and I always wanted to. So I picked out Promising Young Woman. I have never seen Promising Young Woman. So never I'm met one. 
Really? Oh, do you like that? I'm, I'm losing. I'm gonna lose <laughs> listeners. I'm gonna lose listeners. <laughs> I'm getting all most of the women. All I love. I love women. They're great. Yes, I've, I've heard they have soft hands and sharp nails. I've heard that about them. <laughs> very, very good. You know, if you're if you are a, a woman, female viewer, I apologize. We are not just a bunch of bros who love movies, right, Eric? I am. I am. Uh, you? Oh, oh, okay, Bruce. Are you I don't know a- if you know this about me. I used to be a real piece of shit, and then I got better <laughs> at it. You got better at being a pos. I'm with you, I'm with you, Bruce. Are you, I'm trying to say that we're all all inclusive podcast, Bruce Perk. You got to back me up on this. Sure, <laughs> sure. That was hopefully, folks. You're, you've been convinced by our all-inclusive nature, promising young woman. In all fairness, I believe one of us have, have, have you know, have seen Eric. Eric watched talk Holmes. about it. Yeah. Yes, Eric Holmes. You love you love promising young young woman, right? You liked it? Yeah, okay. yeah. That that got a lot of buzz when it came out, and I think it was uh, well earned. Okay, well earned. Very interesting movie. And do you know anything about this movie, Bruce? On the uh, I know on- the very basic concept of it, but I've kind of kept myself from all the the reveals and stuff. So I don't know too much about how it plays out. I am Actually, the king the, uh, of, non- I'm, yes, sir. I'm the king of transitions. I'm ready for a transition before I get onto that transition on that thieves highway. Eric Holmes, what is your fun? You had something to say. I was going to say the, uh, the ending to uh promising young woman uh, mm-hmm. is really good too. Yes. The part yes. where they're, they're chasing yes. them. It's black and white. And they're chasing them up the uh, tower thing. Yes. That, that was really good. Yes. Promising young woman. And they look up and there's like a space baby <laughs> staring it out at them. I heard about that. Yeah. Very, very good. We'll get to see what Bruce Perky. And you know what? I might I might join Bruce Perky for a for viewing a promising young woman. So I might I might go in and check that out as well. So that'll be very interesting to to watch, even though I do know what happened happens at the ending of Promising Young Woman. So but we'll we'll see what Turns happens. Out Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Yes. Again, before <laughs> very good, Eric Holmes. Well, I'm not gonna. I was gonna, I was gonna mention the actual movie. I, people know the movie by now, but hopefully, you know, be, I don't want to spoil it for other people. Again, listen to Jack Fitzpatrick on YouTube. What is the name of his YouTube channel, Bruce Perky or Eric Holmes? Who has the the name? Let's of, crash this parade. Let's crash this parade. And our buddy Peter Beta, Tyler Noe, and Joseph Navarro. There are our, our podcast brethren and, and brothers, middle class film class film glass, middle class film class and they have a middle class film glass you can buy their merch as well you can purchase our mer- our merch as well where we have shirts we have what else we have a hoodie and we have shower curtains and shopping carts bruce what else do we got there what else did eric oh, provide stickers stickers I think yes um I mean bandanas um <laughs> bandanas. jock straps jock straps <laughs> shoes you know, towels. just gloves, towels, whatever. Go to so you actually got a button to jog strap, so it's more of a jog button. Button. Okay, so go yeah. to findyourfilmpodcast.com. Here's a ringing endorsement. I still haven't purchased merch. So I don't purchased any merch on our site yet. That's I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement, but Bruce and Eric have. How's the merch, Bruce? I know you can't. I know your your lovely wife says you can't purchase any more merch. How's the Find Your Film merch treating you? Is it okay? It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. soft and comfy. It hugs my body. You yes. Know, kind of very good. Makes very me good. Feel. It's okay. very inclusive. It's inclusive of all of my <laughs> curves. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to include inclusive shirt, go get our fi- FYF merch. Final thoughts, Eric Holmes, regarding Find Your Film. Anything? I know I'm going to get to you, Bruce, in a second. I just realized this. Yes, Eric Holmes, any final thoughts? Uh, I would say I want to just point out how mm-hmm. dead on 
uh, Joseph Bridges was yes. <laughs> with uh, Night in the City and uh, Night in the City and Uncut Gems. My brain Uncut sucks. Gem. No, no, I'm, no. I, I'm, guys, I've not been in a very uh, mentally good state this whole week. Uh, yes. We don't have to start tell why, but yeah, it's good seeing you guys. And oh yes. Yeah, very good. I'm glad everything's looking good for, for you and yours, Eric Holmes. And look, this was an, a special Eric Holmes episode for Jules Dastin and the spotlight on the director. We praised the heck out of Thieves Highway and Naked Night in the City. And uh, you know what? The, there's the Naked City. There's Rafifi. And you know what? I, I hope you guys aren't listening. If you guys are listening right now, that means thank you so much. You've listened to the end of the program. I'm going to give you a little bit of a truth bomb. Jules Dassin, very overrated. Overrated. Do not watch any of his movies. Bruce, do you have any? Uh, you know, there's a, you're shaking your head. I'm Kayla. I'm not kidding. I hate Jules Dassin. I don't want to watch any more of his movies. F that, right, Bruce? He's a Dassin hole. He's a, you know what? He's such a dasno. Let's just move on and let's get some better directors than, than Eric's choice. Do you have a choice for us that we're going to spotlight in a couple of weeks, Bruce? Do you have, yeah, what is your choice? Make it better than Dasson. I do. I don't think it's going to be better than Dasson, but it's going to be fun. Uh, Mm. I was inspired by, and I'm going to spoil a little bit of Mad God because there was a guest appearance by one. Oh, Alex Cox. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to pick a famous Alex Cox one that I've seen that I haven't seen for 30 years and see how it feels at my age. And that is going to be Repo Man. So we're going to watch Repo Man. Okay. Again. Never heard of it. Or if you're in Greg's case, you'll watch it for the first time. And then um, I'm going to watch a movie by Alex Cox I've never seen. I don't even know anything about it. Uh, It's from 1991 and it's called Highway Patrolman. Ooh, Highway Patrolman. Yes. Okay. Is it? Av- have you checked if it's available? Do we have to? Tubi. S- it's available on Tubi. What'd you call me? Okay. Yeah. Tubi. <laughs> Highway Patrolman. Are you excited? Alex Cox, Repo Man. Are you excited for this? In two weeks, we will be. Okay. You know and what? As, and as as a bonus material, I'm probably also going to watch Straight to Hell because I've heard that's just a total mess. And I'm curious to watch it because it has people like uh, members of The Clash and Courtney Love in it. So I'm going to watch that one too. I never so heard of Repo uh, Man. Did you ever heard of Repo Man, Eric? You know what that oh, is? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah, I got forced okay. to watch Repo Man, Clockwork Orange, and uh, <laughs> Romper Stomper like a thousand times at a certain like, oh. three-year period. Did your eyes bug out kind of like Malcolm McDowell yeah. in uh, – But I've also I've also uh, since – because I haven't seen either of those three in forever because I was just sick of all of them. It's like, mm-hmm. can we put on something else, please? But I've recently watched uh, Clockwork Orange again, and so now I'm less – uh, pissed at that, mm. and kind of, kind of excited to watch Repo Man and Romper Stomper again, just to not hate them anymore. Bruce, I, I haven't seen Repo Man, but I have seen Men at Work and Another Stakeout. Does that is that an even trade for that? Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> so so similar. Before we go, before we go, you and your extras regarding Alex Cox and Straight to Hell. I am going to suggest not. I mean, it doesn't have to be for that. Alex Cox, director spotlight in two weeks. But you know, you know, Bruce Perky, you know, you know who's one of his favorite all time Western filmmakers? Who? Alex Cox's? Mm hmm. Um, I'm going to guess, um, I don't know who. Do you have a guess, Eric Holmes? Sergio Leone. I was going to say the other Very Sergio, close. Sergio Corbucci. Yes. 
Yes, very good, Eric Holmes of Sergio Corbucci. And speaking of Corbucci, what's one of his favorite Westerns, period, Alex Cox's? And that the, did he do the, the, the Great Silence? Yes, The Great yeah. Silence, which Eric and I have been prodding. Well, you know, who can it's I say? It's in the box. It's in the box. It's in the I box. I have to get it out of the box. But by the way, speaking of which, listeners, if you haven't seen The Great Silence, actually, first in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing Alex Cox stuff. Check out Find Your Films, findyourfilms.com. We might have some extra director information that I'll, that I'll be putting up on the website as well. But the great, the great silence is what's interesting is the actual Blu-ray, which this slime bucket here, me, Greg Srezavasi, I actually accidentally traded it in. I can't believe I traded in my the great silence Blu-ray. Now I have to buy it back. Have you have you guys ever done this where you actually trade a Blu-ray or DVD? Oh, Bruce, no, never. Thanks, thanks a lot, Eric. Have you ever done that <laughs> where you actually regret trading something in for cash or or no? Because usually when I've uh, Old, like a dvd or blu-ray it's because i've gotten like the the steelbook version or like i've upgraded it so okay. much i feel horrible now because i for some reason i traded in my so my blu-ray for the great sounds by the way it's available right now to purchase via the film movement the reason why is it has the movie and it has a special uh, insight on the great silence and corbucci from the aforementioned alex cox he's featured in that blu-ray for the Great Silence, and also you can actually watch him on Mad God as well. So that is it. Final thoughts from Bruce Perky. Um, no, nothing to say. I just wanted to bring up the Alex Cox, and uh, you know, I would say um, if you're looking up Alex Cox, make sure you spell it C O X, or you might get some different results. I might have accidentally done that the first time, and yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's all. We will see you. Speaking of which. Can you name, can you guys name someone with C-O-C-K-S as their last name? Do you guys know anyone? Uh, was it, uh, was his first name Thick? <laughs> no, it's not Alan Thick, and his first mm-hmm. name wasn't Thick. His name, it's actually a real name I'm pulling up right now on IMDb. And then eventually, folks. Wasn't there a guy from Pleasure? Wasn't there a guy from Pleasure? That's what I was thinking of. I couldn't remember what it was. Yes, there is a, there is a writer and his, he was born in 1944. His name is J. Cox, C-O-C-K-S. And he is the writer behind a, a movie called Silence, directed by Martin Scorsese. And he's also penned the Scorsese's best film, the 1993 film, The Age of Innocence. And without, I'm not going to hear what Bruce and Eric have to say. I just said that it's Scorsese's and best movie. And he was the... Other son of Goose. There was Rooster oh, no. Cox. Well, him, and his, him and his brother used to fight a lot. They used to call that cockfighting. Very, oh, oh, yeah, very, 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 very good. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. It, it, it's, um, Age of Innocence is not my favorite Scorsese film. Before we go, favorite Scorsese film, Round Robin. Bruce, you start. King of Comedy. King of Comedy. How about you, uh, Eric Holmes? Bruce already said King of Comedy, so I'll go Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, I, you know what? I still haven't seen that movie. That's yeah. good. The well, Scorsese guy, he makes pretty good movies sometimes. Yeah, I, I'd have to say, you know, for me, it's uh, it's not one of my all-time favorites. Is I'm gonna have to say honestly, The Age of Innocence for me. That's that's you know, this is a guy who likes Phantom Thread. Anyways, we'll see you guys next week on Find Your Film and take care. <laughs>